I am super glad you're here. You probably know this, but the Bible is sort of dissected into two parts. You have the Old Testament sort of before Jesus, the New Testament after Jesus. And the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're kind of four biographies of the life of Christ. And the last one, John, uh, was written by, does anybody know? John, right, that's right, that's good. And at the the very last verse of the book of John, he says this, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the book's that would be written. It is interesting to me that even John early on understood that Jesus changed everything. We're entering this Christmas season and we have an idea around a little bit about about Jesus but if we're not careful at Christmas we we sort of forget how (laughs) integral Jesus was not just to Christmas but basically to everything. And so today our message is Jesus changed everything. Let, let me tell you a story. There was Walt Disney, you know Walt Disney, he had a daughter. Uh, his daughter wrote a biography about her life, obviously that's what a biography is, and she didn't really understand who her dad was until she was about six years old. She went to school, first grader, and all the kids were saying, Mickey Mouse and uh, Disneyland, that's your dad, and she didn't realize it. So she goes home and she says to her dad, Dad, why didn't you tell me you were Walt Disney? Uh, like, um, I, I didn't know who you were. Well, today, those of us who choose to follow Jesus, I don't know that we completely understand how Jesus has affected so much of our life. So today, we're not talking about um, your life. We're not talking about my life. We're going to talk about Jesus and how he affects and how he's uh, got his really has had an effect on so much of what we do and, and how we live. There was a, a Yale historian by the name of uh, Yaroslav Pelikan. And, he, and today I'm going to have several quotes, so I apologize. I don't usually read a lot, but, but I want to I make sure you understand how historically relevant Jesus is. And Pelican writes this, again, a Yale historian. Regardless of what you may personally think or believe about Jesus of Nazareth, He has been the dominant figure in history of the Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, there would be hardly anything left. Jesus changed everything. I mean, today we do things simply because Jesus was. Now, let's start with this, because this is kind of important. There is hardly a less likely candidate to have had this sort of impact on the world than Jesus. Think about this. He was born in an obscure little village in one of the smallest countries on the planet. He was born to a carpenter and a young bride. Just really, really unimportant people. He never held political office. He was never in good with people in politics. He never led an army. He wasn't a general. He didn't, like Napoleon we know about because he conquered things. But not Jesus. He never conquered anything like that. He, he was, uh, his followers, uh, good grief, could he have picked people who were, were incredibly uneducated and, and really unimportant? 
In fact, look at what it says about his followers in Acts. These guys were kind of talking about Jesus. The book of Acts is like the beginning of the church, and they were making a huge impact on, on the world. And, and it says about them, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, a couple of Jesus' followers, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They, he, he didn't even pick important people when he chose the ones who would carry out the mission of the church. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we still talk about Christ, who really lived a remarkable life, even though in some ways he was unremarkable. Now, if you've ever been to a banquet, the other day Miriam and I were at a banquet, and we had a key, they had a keynote speaker, and whenever you do a keynote speaker, you say the stuff that they've done, you know, so it'd be like, you know, uh, this guy... Was, uh, has been the chairman of the board of a Fortune 500 company for 12 years, or, or this lady was the coach of uh, a state championship team, or anytime you can throw in that they're from Kentucky, that's always a plus, you know, stuff like that. Well, well Jesus made these amazing contributions to the world. And today, I hope when you walk out of here, you go, wow. I, I, I really didn't realize. I, I never had a full grasp of all that Jesus has meant, not just to my life, but to the world. So we're going to look at some of those. If you have an outline, you might want to pull that out. Um, this is going to be a little bit of a history lesson today. So let's talk about some ways that Jesus changed the world. One, he gave us the church. Now, that might seem unremarkable, but it's pretty remarkable because there had never been anything like the church. Think about this. There were nations, and there were ethnic groups, and there were families, and there were tribal religions, and there were schools of philosophy, but there was never anything like the church. In fact, about the church it says in, in Colossians, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Never been anything like the church, where everyone was welcome. It didn't matter if you were Greek or Jew, if you were circumcised or uncircumcised. Not only had this never happened before, this had never even been an idea before. The, the Jewish people were very exclusive people. They, they felt like the, only the Jews were God's chosen people. Although, back in the Old Testament it says you're going to be a blessing to all nations. They kind of missed that a little bit. So the church is, it is an amazing construct of Jesus' imagination. This place where everyone is welcome and where anyone can be saved was never anything like that before. And think about these great churches that have existed in the world. Think about these buildings like Westminster Abbey or, or St. Peter's Cathedral or St. Paul's Cathedral or mud huts in Africa or even our church. Think about church people, what the church has given us by way of individuals. Peter, James, John, you have Paul who was amazing, you have St. Francis of Assisi, you have Martin Luther who started the Reformation, you have Martin Luther King Jr. who uh, uh, headed uh, reconciliation uh, in our country. You have uh, John Calvin, you have John Wesley, you have John the Baptist, you have Tim Tebow, I mean all these people. The church has given us these amazing people. But it goes beyond that. Jesus gave us the church, but we also 
the way we think about history has much to do with Jesus. Now, I, I did not know this till this week. This is amazing to me. Do you know why January 1st falls on January 1st? You, you may not. Th this is really cool. When a child was born, he was named on the eighth day, including the day that you were born. That's the first day. And so let's think about this. December 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31. The eighth day is January 1. January 1 is the beginning of a new year because it was the day that Jesus' name was introduced to the world. It is an amazing thing. He, he has altered the way we think about time, about history. He, he, is, just, he is just amazing. He's changed the way we think about the future. Think about this. We have these surveys, and they'll happen around this time. Do you think that life will be better for the next generation than it was for our generation? And these polls come out, these surveys come out. This question would have never been asked in Jesus' day because it was kind of cyclical. You, you, you were born, if you were born into aristocracy, you kind of had a good life. If you were born a peasant like the vast, 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 vast majority of people, you didn't. Most people lived a, a sustenance lifestyle. It was hand to mouth. You were hoping to live the next day. Life expectancy was in the 30s and 40s. I mean, nobody lived long, and if you lived long, your life wasn't that great. And so to say, do you expect better for your kids? Well, no, because we've never seen better. We've never experienced better. We've never even heard about better. And yet, followers of Christ, because of Jesus, when Jesus said, hey, I'm coming back, he, he, he makes this claim. Right before he dies, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, you can be also. And it gave people hope. For maybe for the first time, it, it was hope that, oh, there's a, there's, a better, there's a better future for me. Jesus changed the way we look at the future. Jesus changed the way we view time. Think about this. Look how things used to be recorded, how dates used to be recorded. This is found in, in the birth story of Jesus in Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken uh, of the entire Roman world. This took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. That's a pretty clunky way of dating something, right? But in that era, in that time, what they would do is they would date things by the leader, you know, the, whoever was the Caesar it's the 12th year of the Caesar's reign, or in this case, it was the, uh, this was the place where Quirinius took, uh, the day he took over the governorship of Syria, or in that time frame. And everybody, everything was dated uh, because of the emperor. Well, in the 3rd century, there was a Scythian monk by the name of uh, Dionysius. Uh, by the way, the word Dionysius is Latin. It means little Dennis. The Latin is much better, don't you think? Yeah, um, He also had a nickname, Dionysius Delinquitus, uh, which means Dennis the Menace, but you don't need to know that. Um, Dionysius decided that there needed to be more of a uniform way of dating things. And so, though he, he missed his calculation a bit, he developed a calendar that basically went from... He, he created the ADBC calendar that there was a time before Christ and there was a time after Christ. J Jesus Christ 
is in fact the hinge of history. There was a time before him and there was a time after him. And great people, people who are of great renown, are dated by what is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Think about this. We would say Nero lived in the year of our Lord, died in the year of our Lord, 68 A.D. Napoleon died in the year of our Lord, 1821. Joseph Stalin, that noted dictator, died in the year of our Lord, 1953. And so even these greatest of leaders are dated by a carpenter's son from a little town called Nazareth. He changed everything. He changed the way we view human history. He's the hinge of human history, and he changed the way we view time. Think about this. Um, The Jewish people were the very first folks to ever give up a day that could have been productive for them in order to rest. Other than the Jews, and that was one of the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath, and so God establishes a Sabbath, and you know that was the seventh day, which is Saturday. There was a Sabbath day on Saturday. The Jewish people were the only people of all of antiquity who had a day of rest. Everybody else worked seven days a week, but not the Jews. Now, because Jesus was Jewish, because many of his early followers were Jewish, they observed the Sabbath, but they changed the day that they observed their Sabbath. So it went from, we're going to observe it on a Saturday, to we're going to observe it on a Sunday, because Sunday was the day of Jesus' resurrection. We get today, today is the, really the day in all the world where people, most, most people have a day off is a Sunday. They take that because of, of Jesus. He is the reason. Um, in, interestingly enough, um, the guy that records this is a guy named Pliny the Younger, would anybody like to guess what his dad's name was? Yeah, I think so. Maybe. Uh, I don't really know. Jesus had a, a hand in the way we keep time. Now, in the early church, one of the things that they wanted to do, the, or the monks, they prayed on the hour. They, they wanted to make sure they were praying every hour. Well, it's kind of hard if you don't have a clock. I mean, we can sort of take clocks for granted. So in the 13th century, there were these Benedictine monks who decided they were going to make a mechanical clock, and it was going to be the thing that helped them know when they were to pray. And so they would pray on the hour. The reason we have clocks in some part, in some measure, has to do with people who are followers of Christ. That's why in many, many, many old churches, there's a a clock in the steeple. It was to ring the bells to let you know when it was time to pray. My wife is Swiss, and when we were first married, we went to Switzerland. This was before kids, and my, uh, uh, my wife's in-laws, uh, not in-laws, her uncle and aunt, owned a house in a town, Krumenau, is that right? Let's go with that. Okay, Krumenau, a little town in Switzerland. And the houses are built tall, built tall, and we were at the top, very kind of the attic, really. And... Um, there were these huge beams. This, this is a really old house. And the beams were about this level, this height right here. It was great when you got up at night. Super great. Because uh, uh, I'm still concussed, and it's been several years. So it's really not that great. So we were at the top level of this house that was probably five stories tall. And uh, right across the street, directly across the street, as close as you could be, there was the bell tower of the church. 
which rang every quarter of an hour all day long, all night long. So when it was 3 o'clock, bang, 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 and, and then every quarter of an hour it would go, ding. And then, uh, two, you know, like a half hour, ding, ding. It was like, uh, uh, it was charming, uh, except for the whole, well, we can't get any sleep part. Um, interestingly enough, this is, this is really interesting to me. In the 20th century, in towns all over America, the, there were clocks in towers of churches. 20th century, this changed. Some, somebody else began to tell us the time. You, you remember, you know who it is? Banks. It's almost as if, it's kind of interesting, um, whoever the community worships gets to tell you the time. Kind of interesting. Jesus changed the way we look at time. Maybe one of the greatest contributions of Jesus is that he shaped the way we express compassion. Now, all human beings have this capacity for compassion, I think, but in Greek and Roman society, the only people that got to express compassion were people of nobility. And they did it because they were going to be noted. It was going to be, there's some notoriety involved. And so if I'm a, a wealthy Greek or if I'm a wealthy um, a person of stature and I donated money for a building, then my building would bear my name. It wasn't benevolence so much as it was, this is a way for me to receive a claim. There, there was very little benevolence that went on, but when it did, it was mostly <laughs> for the benefit of the person who gave the money. The weak, the marginalized, really didn't have much of a value at all. Seneca wrote about the time of Jesus. This is what he wrote. Um, we drown children at birth when they are weak and abnormal. That, that was the culture. The child would be born, and if the child didn't please the dad, the child would be exposed oftentimes. Exposing means they were left out, just left, um, to die. There was a city square, and then out from that, they would take these babies. Oftentimes it was girls because dads wanted sons, and these girls would be placed and left to die. This was the culture. And yet Jesus is the one who said, let the little children come to me. And so followers of Christ began to put two and two together. Jesus loved the little children. We have a song about this, by the way. And so they began to think, okay, if Jesus loves kids, how is it right for us to just let kids die? And so they didn't. <laughs> There were followers of Christ in these little towns who would be the ones who would go and save little deformed kids or children that somebody just didn't want or couldn't afford that were exposed. And they would take them in. There's one guy by the name of uh, Benigius, Benigius of Dijon. He was the inventor of mustard, too, by the way. Um, not, he really wasn't the inventor of mustard. But anyway... Um, this is what it says about him, 3rd century. Look, listen. Benignius, however you say it, Benignius said, uh, it says, nursed, supported, and protected a number of deformed and crippled children 
that had been saved from death after failed abortions and exposures. Christ followers were the ones that saw a need and felt compassion when nobody else noticed or cared. By the way, um, Benegius was martyred because that wasn't common. It wasn't something that society said he should do. Widows, by the way, in Roman society were fined when they outlived their husbands. Kind of considered bad form to outlive your husband. You became a drain on society. And yet, in the book of James, it says this about how we who are followers of Jesus are to behave around children and widows. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. It was uncommon. Instead of widows being reviled in the Christian community, they were taken in. It was the first community that would ever take people in to their homes that weren't part of their families. This was just what Christians did. Jesus changed the way we look at compassion. Even from the cross. i got to tell you, if you don't believe that Jesus is amazing, just read what he said from the cross. While on the cross, he's got a lot going on on the cross. You've just nearly had the life beaten out of you. You're hanging on a cross, and you ha- your death is imminent. You are about gone. While on the cross, hanging on the cross... He says to his friend John, that we noted a minute ago, Hey John, take care of my mama. He's a southern boy. Must have been from southern Israel. Uh, John, I need you to take care of my mama for me. I I mean, who, who does that? It is amazing that he helps us Change the way we look at people. There's a guy, a sociologist by the name of Rodney Stark, and he writes this. One of the main reasons for the expansion of the church came because of two major epidemics. Smallpox in the second century, which wiped out about a fourth of the population of the world. And measles in the third century, which wiped out about a a third of the population. I mean, these two major sicknesses just nearly took the whole planet over now again you have to think differently than we think today people would get sick you had you had a home everybody kind of lived together in this one area so if somebody contracted measles or somebody got smallpox this was a sickness they didn't understand they didn't know what was going on they certainly didn't have a cure for they would take the sick people out in the streets and leave them there to die there there were no hospitals no place to take them. Nobody had a shingle up that said, hey, we're going to take sick people. Again, Christians. The church exploded because Christians would take in sick people even though they could become sick as well. They risked their own lives because they saw every soul as precious. And they would take these 
sick people into their homes and they would nurse them back to health. And when people began to see this, it was something everybody wanted to be a part of. Who doesn't want to be a part of helping folks? And because Jesus is the one who healed lepers and the deaf and the mutes and the blind, because Jesus was compassionate to people that nobody else cared about. He set an example for his followers. And when they saw people who were sick and couldn't help themselves, followers of Christ decided that was going to be something that they wanted to be known for. In fact, in the 4th century, the very first hospital um, was developed by a guy by the name of St. Benedict. In the 6th century, in monasteries, most every one of them had a, um, a hospital attached because Christians came to be known as the people who would help folks that nobody else wanted to touch. They were the ones who helped the untouchables. That was our reputation. Should still be our reputation. In 1949, the Geneva Convention was... Uh, established. They were looking for a, an organization that would be helpful to folks in great need. And there was something called the Red Cross. And the Red Cross kind of became the group, by the way, founded by a Swiss man who was a Christian. When you go to the mall in the next c- couple of days, you're going to hear somebody ringing a bell. That's because the Salvation Army was founded by a Christian by the name of William Booth. And there's compassion involved and world vision. And the YMCA, not not the song by the village people, but uh, the real one, was founded by people who were followers of Christ. Every hospital that you've ever uh, gone to or driven by named Mercy or Good Samaritan or St. Jude's has some history because of Christ and his followers. Compassion is something that we are to be known for. It is something that Christians have been known for For millennia. Jesus modeled it for us. And expects us to continue the family tradition. Jesus changed the way we look at education. This is crazy interesting to me. Jesus one time said this. These are his words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your what? Your mind. Followers of Christ believe that all truth is God's truth. If it's true, it's from God. Now, one day the Roman society collapsed and they were overrun by the Huns and the Goths and they destroyed the books. Understand, we didn't have, they didn't have books then like we have books now. They, they, they had them on scrolls and scrolls were expensive and they were delicate and they were easily destroyed. So about the 4th century, Christians began, these, these monks, by the way, These monks are amazing what they did. So many times, I want to give you an encouragement today. Sometimes you can be in a kind of a mundane job and kind of feel like you're not making much of a difference. These monks began to acquire great works. Not just Christian works, but just great works of of, um, literature. And they would sit at these tables. Look at this picture. They would sit at these tables and they would copy it so that they would be preserved. The the Christians did this because they believed that truth should be preserved. And the church began to build schools, these amazing schools. And the first one was in 1000 
A.D. It was called the University of Bologna, and then the University of Paris in 1155, and then about 100 years later, Oxford was, was uh, established in Cambridge. And the word university, think about this, the word university um, comes from the idea that God is the creator of the universe, and if we go to university, we learn about the creator of the universe. In Colossians it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. And so the universities were established so that young men and women could learn about Christ. Listen to this. This is from a college handbook in America. Tell me if you can guess which college this is. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. This was the charter for Harvard in 1646. Of the universities that were established before the American Revolution, all but one have their... Uh, have as their founders uh, people who uh, are, were Christians and wanted to teach young people about Christ. 92% of the first 150 colleges that were established in America had the same sort of foundation. And it's more, it's more than that. There, more than that. This is... Um, the, oh, that's the charter. Sorry, I should have read it to you on there. This is the language uh, Cyrillic. It's the, the language of the Serbians. Or the Slavics. Now, uh, the reason it's called Cyrillic is because it was established by a guy named Cyril, which makes sense. He's a saint. And what happened was he, as a missionary, began to understand that these people didn't have a written language. And so he began to write down the language for them. And he developed an alphabet because this is what Christians have done across the world, across the planet. They compile the first dictionaries, most times the most grammars, the most alphabets, the first name that's translated in many, 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 many most languages is the name Jesus. Nation after nation, missionaries have gone because they love these people and they've created, a, they've been able to write down their language for the first time ever. The Gospels have been translated into 2,200 languages around the world, more than anything else. Jesus, the Jesus movement revolutionized art. Without Jesus, you don't have the Divine Comedy by Dante. It shaped Italy. Martin Luther, you don't have him who translated the Bible into German. It shaped Germany. You don't have the King James Bible, which shaped the English language. You don't have Johannes Bach, who wrote every time he wrote a, a, a musical score, he put at the bottom to the glory of God. Listen to this. You know this, I think. This is what you sing when the light goes from red to green. Uh, right there. Without Christ, there's no hallelujah chorus. There's no Messiah. There's no requiem. There's no Gregorian chants. Modern music notation was a part, was created by monks in the Middle Ages because they wanted to be able to write down how they're praising God. Without Christ, there's no Sistine Chapel. This is one of the panels that Michelangelo painted, and it's uh, depicting 
the judgment. There, there's no uh, the Last Supper without Christ. Great art. I mean, you could go on for days about the contribution that Christ has made in art. He changed the way we think about human rights and worth and dignity. In our Declaration of Independence, we write, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He, he says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, but they weren't self-evident. The Huns didn't find them self-evident. The Goths didn't find themselves evident. The Nazis certainly didn't find themselves evident. The caste system in India doesn't find itself evident that all men are created equal. This is a product of Christ. Remember, we said there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave or free, male or female. All are in Christ. All are one in Christ. The great founders in the abolition of slavery in both America and in, in, uh, in England, in the UK, were the vast majority were followers of Christ who said our brothers who have a different color skin are still precious souls to Jesus. What a heritage we have. Jesus change the way we look at our enemies. Jesus is the one that says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek as well. Jesus is the one who said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him a second mile as well. Jesus is the one who said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. It is different than anything else you'll hear any place else. Let's go back to the cross just for a second. On the cross, again, Jesus has a lot on his mind. He remembers to take care of his mama. He's a good boy. And one of his prayers, to his heavenly Father concerning the people that have just beat him and hung him on a cross, his Father forgive them for they don't know what they do. The enormity of Jesus' influence is incalculable. Much of what I've taught today is from a book by a guy named John Ortberg called Who Is This Man? It's much more complete if you want to read it. It's great. But Jesus, when we consider, as we consider this season, more than a baby in a manger, he's more than just a savior. Jesus, he changed everything. If you think about it, what did he not touch? What has he not influenced? He's influenced pretty much everything. I have a list. 
He's the hinge of history. He's the hope of the oppressed. He is the inspiration for the despairing. King of kings. Lord of lords. The greatest teacher who ever lived. The greatest mind who ever thought. He sparked the greatest movement that has ever been spread. He offered the greatest gift that has ever been given. He alone mastered life. He alone conquered death. He alone overcame sin. He alone grows more present with each passing year. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. Jesus changed and changes everything. Father, we are humbled to speak the name. That changes everything. We thank you for the gift of Christ. We're thankful for how he changes lives and attitudes. We're thankful that we get to enter a season where we get to worship our Savior. In a unique way. Thank you for all the positive things that Christ has done in and through our world, in and through our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.